Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis 24, look at verse 1. Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way, 24-2. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household who had charge of all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh. The promise was made by grabbing the inner thigh. This is, a, this is kind of a patriarchal way to do things. And there are scholars that believe that when the thigh was grabbed, it was a promise on future children or on your posterity. Some people say it's a close connection to the idea of circumcision. I don't know if that's true. But it was basically you made an oath promise and you said, I swear on future generations that I will keep my word. Okay? One more place to take a peek at this. Genesis 47. This is a highlight of what's ahead. But Genesis 47, Jacob's old... And it says in chapter 47, go to verse 27, 47, 27. Now Israel lived in the land of Egypt in Goshen, and they acquired property in it and were fruitful and became very numerous, 47, 28. Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, so the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. When the time for Israel to die drew near, that's Jacob, his name is, goes back and forth from Jacob to Israel. When the time, verse 29, for Israel to die drew near, he called his son Joseph and said to him, please, if I found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh and deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Please do not bury me in Egypt. But when I lie down with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. So he swore to him. Then Israel, or Jacob, bowed in worship at the head of the bed. Just before he died, he called Joseph and he said, I want you to make this oath promise and I want you to grab the thigh and make this covenant promise. Everybody go, go back to our chapter, Genesis 33. When the strange visitor, the divine visitor, comes in, the angel of the Lord, an Old Testament appearance of God, a theophany, a Christophany, what does he do to Jacob? He touches what? His thigh. And Jacob had been wrestling with these kinds of thoughts. Is Esau going to kill me and my whole family? God, you said I'm going to have a family that uh, outnumbers the sand of the sea or the dust of the ground, sand of the seashore. But how is that going to happen with him coming with 400 men? Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, save me. And all of a sudden, he's in this wrestling match, and he's wrestling. Oh, God, help. I need your favor. Pam! All of a sudden... He gets hit in the thigh. Here's something. This is a consideration. Do you think the message from that interesting visitor was something like this? Jacob, I know you're, th you're between a rock and a hard place. I know you're wondering if you're going to make it past tomorrow. I know you're wondering if I'm going to be good to my promises. Hey, I'll tell you what. I'll confirm it for you. And I think that this divine visitor, I think there is a connection here gave Jacob an oath, said, this is what you're used to, okay, and bam, Jacob got the message, I will be true to my promises. You know, we as people, we wrestle with these things all the time. Let's be honest, as Christians, we sometimes have our moments of doubt. We sometimes say, God, I, I believe that, I believe all your promises to me in Jesus Christ, but, but what's going to happen? 
What, what about this? What about that? What about, I'm looking for a job. Well, how am I going to take care of my family? What about this? I have a loved one that's sick. You know, are they going to make it to heaven? Is this stuff real? What's going on? Are you good to your word? Are you good to your promises? And we wrestle. And God has these ways of reminding us. Sometimes he reminds us by speaking on a subject when we walk into church and we've had something heavy on our heart and all of a sudden God addresses it through a preacher. Or we flip on the radio and we're dealing with some doubt. And all of a sudden, the radio pastor's speaking directly to that issue. Or sometimes, I even had a night like this. I, I was struggling with some things some years ago. And I said, Lord, I, I need to hear from you, please. I need a word from you. I just need to know that you're there and you hear my heart. And all of a sudden, an email came from a friend that rarely emails me and gave me one of the most encouraging promises in the Bible and said, you are on my heart and I just wanted to send you this Bible verse. And I was like, wow. God is good, right? See, God has a way of confirming his promises. Now, all of that sets this up. <laughs> Genesis 33.1. Then Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two mates. Now, just highlight this in your Bible. Esau is coming. Here it is. Confrontation time. Gulp. Visitor came. Limping. New name. God prevails. But still, there's 400 men coming. And I don't know what's going to happen. And he put the maids and their children in front. Whenever life is in doubt, you put the maids and the children in front. Just kidding. <laughs> He's not really going to do that. That's just, that's a really poor joke. You know, something like this, uh, you know, stepchildren in front, redheaded stepchildren in front. Sorry if you're redheaded tonight. I don't even know where that came from, but <laughs> he, put, he put the maids and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. Now, Joseph was just born, probably a little baby. He puts, of course, the, the woman that was the love of his life, he puts her last with a newborn child, and they're all lined up. You can see Jacob frantically trying to do this. He's limping around. He's probably got no sleep the night before. You know, we're, we've been in situations like that. We don't feel good. We didn't sleep well. I'll tell you a quick story. When the two churches were going to merge um, on that day, Mike Rizzi, when I was going to preach to both churches at our old location, I drank some coffee. This is just such a bad idea. <laughs> in the afternoon, and I, of course, I had prepared the message, and I was going over my notes, and I rock and rolled all night long. I, I maybe got 15 minutes of sleep. It was, it was a praise to God that it was uh, only one service, so I didn't have to preach two, but I did not feel good, and I was just like, Lord, well, <laughs> you say when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So you need to show up because I got nothing. <laughs> I didn't feel good. You know, when you don't sleep, you just feel off. And uh, the Lord showed up. He's, he's faithful. But he himself, Jacob, passed, verse 3, on ahead of them and bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. So now something's changed in Jacob because I thought, when you, know, when you first read this, you, you might think, well, that old conniver, he's probably going to be behind everybody, right? I mean, he was, at, he was on the other side of the brook, right, the night before. So maybe he's going to be last. Maybe he's saying, you guys be the wall and if he finally gets to me. But no, he stepped out in front. Don't you love that? Jacob got out in front of his family and he, and he bowed down to the ground seven times. Husbands, I just want to say something to you. Um, you're supposed to lead your family. You're supposed to be leading them towards Christ and even standing between them and the snake. In Genesis 3, when Eve took of the forbidden fruit, 
Adam was there. Genesis 3, 6 says he was there. He wasn't off somewhere else. He was there. But he did not do what a man should do. He did not stand between the serpent and his wife. But interestingly enough, the last Adam, Jesus, in John 18, when uh, remember when Judas comes with all the soldiers and Judas has been possessed by Satan and Jesus steps in front of his bride, his church, and he says, who do you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. And do you remember what happened to the soldiers? They all went down like dominoes. I want to see video footage when we get to heaven. Uh, that one. But anyway, the last Adam stood between the serpent and his bride. That's what Jesus did for you. He took the penalty to reconcile us back to God. And Jacob gets down, bows down seven times. Seven is the number of perfection. Uh, I read a note here that um, they would approach pharaohs with bowing seven times. Um, interesting. Uh, made me think of Naaman, the Syrian commander. Remember, he goes uh, to Elisha, and Elisha won't even come out of the house. And he says, just bow in the Jordan River seven times. Remember Naaman, I'm not going to bow in that dirty river seven times. Not going to do it. So the, the servant says, well, if he would have told you to jump on your leg for 10 minutes, one leg for 10 minutes, he, that's not the literal thing that he said, but if he would have asked you to do something difficult, would you have done it? Yeah, but there's cleaner rivers back in our homeland. Just dunk in the river seven times. And remember the seventh time when he came up, his skin was like baby skin. You see, Jacob is humbling himself. And even though the prophecy from Genesis 27, 29, the blessing spoken over him was that uh, nations would bow to him, that he would be the master of his brothers. Jacob would. Jacob flips it around and bows before Esau, the man that's supposed to be bowing before him. He bows before him. And look. Here's the picture. If you want reconciliation, it starts with humility. It doesn't matter what your business card says. It doesn't matter what your position is. Humility can cause a lot of relationships to be healed. Amen? If, if someone comes to you and says, I know you and I'd like to be reconciled, but let me tell you everything that you've been doing wrong, and that's the reason that I do the wrong things, and if you just get it together, and all of a sudden you realize they're not trying to humble themselves... They're trying to shift blame to you. Well, Jacob knew what he had done to Esau. Think about it. Jacob knew it was shameful. Even though God used it all, Jacob knew it was wrong to dress up like his brother and steal the blessing and, and talk him out, him out of his birthright. And so seven times, man, 400 militiamen, with, probably with weapons. Maybe Jacob didn't even want to look. <laughs> Got a little closer. <laughs> Got a little closer. Maybe he, he was thinking, this is, this is over. He's going to take a sword and just cut my head off. I'm, I'm done. Lord, please protect my family. He doesn't know what's going to happen. And notice what happens. It says, then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him. You <laughs> think Jacob was going, oh, no! <laughs> and all of a sudden, he gets a hug from Esau. By the way, Esau was known as Big Red. He's a hairy dude. Right? But anyway, he embraced him, he fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Oh, my goodness. You know, when I was looking at this, this is some, uh, some language we see in the story of the prodigal son. The father sees him, his son coming from a distance, and the, the son's thinking the worst. Remember, he's rehearsing his speech. Okay, I'll tell dad. Make me one of your hired servants. I'm not worthy to be. I'm not worthy. Think of Jacob seven times. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Right? And what does the dad do? He runs to the son, and he embraces him. And the Greek here is he kisses him over and over and over again. This son of mine who is dead is 
alive again. He was lost. And now he's found. Jacob had to be shocked. And you know what? I think a lot of people don't understand that when you run to God, he doesn't want to destroy you. He wants to bless you. Do you know that Luke 15, the prodigal story, is a picture of God the Father? Anybody who will run and be broken and, and humble themselves before God, he'll do surprising things with his grace. Even when we say, I'm not worthy, he fell on his neck, he hugged him, he kissed him, and the two brothers wept together. Can you imagine being one of those 400 militia men? Finally, we thought we were going to have a fight, man. And here they are boohooing together. <laughs> I don't know how long it went on, but all of a sudden the brothers were reconciled. You know, there's a principle here, folks, and here's what it is. In order to be truly reconciled to others, you first have to be reconciled to God. Let me explain. I think there's an order here that we have to see. Jacob, the night before, wrestled with who all night long? With God. And God touched him, the, the, the thigh, and he renamed him. And he said, you are now going to be governed by me. You are not going to walk the same. I have confirmed my oath to you. See, vertical reconciliation is the first step. And then horizontal reconciliation is what follows. Amen? And when I think of that, I think of a cross. First you get right with God. Then other relationships fall into place. Here's the biblical order. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, how can we be right with others when we're not right with God? You know, when, when you start to break down uh, relationships that are in trouble, especially when it involves two Christians, at the foundation of those problems, typically, is a spiritual problem. Amen? See, the truth of the matter is, is that if we can't get along, if we can't love each other as God called us to love, it's because we're not surrendered to Christ. Bottom line. No other discussion that really needs to take place. There's some disobedience happening before God. Now, let me just ease your mind for a second. Welcome to the club. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and preach down to you guys and say that that means that, you know, those of us who have arrived have this together. No, but it does mean that when something crops up, that's a problem in our relationships. We may want to look at the spiritual first. Amen. What are you guys out there? We may want to look at the spiritual first and then move down the steps. You see, when, as this is a commentator, Ross says, such is the result when God fights in his way. When God prevails in a relationship, reconciliation comes. This is James Montgomery Boyce. He says, there's another way in which I see the hand of God in this meeting. I notice that neither Esau nor Jacob mentioned the events that led to their parting years, uh, their parting years before. We have an idea in our day that the only way to deal with a problem is to lay it all on the table, as we say. Well, there are probably times when this can be helpful, but not always. 
Too often, laying it all on the table means merely getting it off my chest or allowing my grievances against the other person to be known so I can be proven right, basically. He says, sometimes it's better to forget about the past, particularly if God has given each of the parties a genuine ability to do so. See, they didn't rehash the past. Esau didn't say, and before we hug, I would like you to officially speak before all these people and say, I'm sorry I took your birthright. I'm sorry I took your blessing. No, everybody knew. Everybody knew what was going on. It didn't need to be rehashed to be rehashed. Amen? Now, sometimes it's necessary, and I think Pastor Chris and others would tell you that in counseling, sometimes there's some value to go back, but the Bible says, us to, says for us to press on. There's some value in that, but my point is this. In this case, it doesn't happen. They just, they know what's at stake here and they reconcile. And he lifted his eyes, verse five, and saw the women and the children. Esau did it and said, who are these with you? That's a big number. So he said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Wow, bro, is this your family? Now remember, there's four women and 12 children. And, and Esau has to be thinking, wow, what a family. And so here they are, Bilhah and Zilpah with their four boys, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Leah was there with her seven, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and daughter Dinah. And lastly, Rachel with her baby Joseph. Each of them bowed down in a formal presentation of the family to uh, Esau. That's verses six through eight. The maids came near with their children. They bowed down. Uh, Leah came near likewise with her children and they bowed down in their order. Afterwards, Joseph came near with Rachel and they bowed down. And he said, what do you mean by all this company, which I've met? And he said, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. <laughs> in other words, Esau said, why did you bring everybody? What's with the formal presentation? And Jacob's like, well, I thought it might curry some favor <laughs> when you looked at my, my family here, my snot-nosed kids and my wives. And, and so uh, it's a beautiful thing. The family gets introduced and Esau has just met the nation of Israel. Pretty cool, huh? There's the nation. There's the 12 tribes. One to come in Benjamin. And Jacob said, uh, but Esau, verse uh, 9, said, I have plenty, my brother. Let what you have be your own. Remember, uh, along with uh, what he presented to him was 500 plus animals. Jacob said, no, please, if, if now I found favor in your sight, then take my present from my hand. For I see your face as one sees the face of God. You have received me favorably. I see God's fingerprints all over this brother. Please take my gift, which has been brought to you, 11, because God has dealt graciously with me, because I have plenty. Thus he urged him, and he took it. Now, in these days, um, there was a formal way of doing this, and it kind of worked this way. Someone would offer you a gift, and you'd say, oh, no, 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 you shouldn't have. No, I don't need anything. And they'd say, they, they'd come back to them. They'd say, please, take the gift. And then they'd say, okay. And that was just kind of the way that they did things. I do this every time my mother has a birthday. I buy her a Kohl's gift card. It's not extravagant. And every time it gets presented to my mother, she says, oh, Michael, why did you have to do that? You didn't have to give me that card. And every year I say, Mom, I know I didn't have to get you the card. I wanted to get you the card. That's why I got to buy you. You had your things and your family and you have car payments and mortgage. And I said, Mom, take the card. <laughs> okay. Every year. She's in her 70s. I'm talking every year. 
I'm sorry, mom, if you listen to this later that I just gave away what decade you're in. I repent. I'm bowing right now seven times. See, Jacob had seen the face of God in this situation. And many times I've seen the same as God's gone before me and done a miracle. And Esau said, let us take our journey and go. I will go before you. Now the guy who wanted to kill him is offering protection, even potentially putting his life on the line. He said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail, Jacob responds, and that the flocks and herds which are nursing are a care to me. And if they are driven hard one day, all the flocks will die. Please let my Lord pass on before his servant. I will proceed at my leisure according to the pace of the cattle that are before me and according to the pace of the children until, until I come to my Lord at Seir. Now, that's where Esau was going, but Jacob wasn't going to Seir. That's outside the promised land. And folks, I have to tell you, it appears that Jacob lied. You know, after this extravagant victory, a night of wrestling with God, humility, reconciliation, you, you would think, now, well, now, Jacob, we can truly call him Israel, right? He's governed by God. God prevails. But have you ever noticed you have a moment where you see the face of God, the fingerprints of God, and the next moment you're telling lies? You're like, what? Why didn't Jacob just say, we're not going there. God's instructed me to go to the promised land and it's not going to happen, bro. But I love you. Thank you. Thank you for being gracious. Be blessed. Barnell says, what did Esau think when he realized that Jacob was not coming to see her? Esau, kind, generous, and forgiving, shows up far better in all the details of the account than did his brother who had seen the Lord. I mean, after a couple months went by and Jacob didn't show up, what do you think Esau thought? Wow. I think Jacob lied to me. Sometimes some unbelievers get the sense that we go back and forth between Jacob and Israel. Amen. Jacob's name means supplanter or conniver. Israel means governed by God. And by the way, from chapter 33 to 50 in Genesis, it's about two to one. The times that Jacob's called Israel or the times that he's called Jacob are more twice as many as the times he's called Israel. And some people see that meaning that he kind of goes back and forth between conniver and governed by God. And Esau said, please, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me, let me find favor in thy sight. I'll leave some guys to guard you in the sight of my Lord. But Jacob says, no, 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 it's not necessary. No. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. And Jacob journeyed to Sukkot and built for himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the place is named Sukkot. Now, Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem. Uh, most scholars believe he was supposed to go to Bethel, but he didn't, which is in the land of Canaan. He's still in the promised land when he came from Padan Aram and camped before the city. Everybody see the word Sukkot in verse 17? That's the Hebrew word for tabernacle. The Jews call the Feast of Tabernacles Sukkot. Here's where it comes from. It's a little shelter, and uh, this is what they do during the fall feast of tabernacles. But Jacob goes to Shechem. He buys a piece of land, verse 19, where he pitched his tent from the hand of the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected there an altar. He called it El, El Lohe, Israel. It's translated the mighty God of Israel, or the mighty God is the God of Israel. Final thoughts. Jacob settles in Shechem instead of Bethel. Um, where he originally had the vision of God. And here's, this is some conjecture by scholars, but here's, here's how it goes. They believe that Jacob compromised in lying to Esau and then not going back to Bethel, but settling in Shechem. 
And when he does, a terrible incident happens in the next chapter. Dinah gets raped in the land. And scholars have commented that if Jacob wouldn't have compromised here, that probably wouldn't have happened. And so even though he's become a different man, a changed man, he still seems to be a man that takes two steps forward and sometimes three steps back. Can you relate? This is why the Bible is so honest and why the Bible says, walk by the Spirit and you will not fulfill the sinful desires of the flesh. And to be consistent is the key. And it's not always easy. We can see it in the life of Jacob that he had advances, but he failed. And But we can still see God's grace. And I pray that if you have someone to reconcile with, and I would say especially if maybe you're at odds with a spouse right now or a family member, and maybe it was over something stupid. Maybe it's over money or, you know, maybe somebody said a crossword and it was hard to let it go. Or maybe you're in a situation where your marriage is in trouble and something serious went down or somebody wronged you and it's hard. My prayer is that this, these messages will help you to, to prepare you for a time of reconciliation that God can lead you through. But I would say especially right now, because I'm aware that as we do Christian radio, perhaps as much as 40% of our audience is not uh, either not a Christian or maybe uh, hasn't been plugged in for a long time. If you're a prodigal and you need to come home, if you're a non-Christian and you need to get right with God and and you, you have not received that forgiveness that's available in Jesus Christ. Now is your time. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the time of salvation. And so if you're wondering how to do that, you have to have a moment where you turn from your sin. That's called repentance. Where you place your full trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ and his person and his finished work, his death on the cross, his triumphant resurrection. And just say, Lord Jesus, I cry out to you. And if it's you right now, if you're driving, keep your eyes open. But man, just start praying. Lord Jesus, I believe that you came into this world because you loved me and wanted me to be reconciled to your Father. I believe you died on that cross to pay for my sin, to pay my sin debt, to pay my penalty. I believe that you rose from the dead to defeat death. I believe that you are God. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. I trust in you and you alone for my salvation. Cry out to him. If you need to rededicate your life, do it now. And if you need some help, maybe just going through something as a believer and there's a relationship that's unreconciled, but you want it to be reconciled and say, Lord, as much as it depends on me, I'm going to lay down arms. I'm going to put away my bitterness and grief and I'm going to try to live out the gospel as best I can. Hey, in whatever way we can help you, let us know. This is Living Truth Radio. I'm Pastor Michael Lance. We have a contact form on our website where you can reach out to us, and we would love to pray for you. We'd like to know if these uh, radio broadcasts have been a blessing to you. And you can do that by using the contact form at livingtruthradio.org. That's livingtruthradio.org. Just say, hey, this is who I am. This is where I listen. Uh, give us a word of encouragement if the broadcasts have been a blessing to you. We would love to know that. How we can pray for you. If you're praying for us, let us know. We appreciate it deeply. And if you can support the radio ministry, there's a place to give as well. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at Living Truth Corona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. 
You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.